king, an obsession. Journey into the world of Iskorda and travel along with the boy from that way as he embarks on a quest to return to the very depths of the nightmare that brought him through the white door. Join us once more as we step through the white door. Join us this week for chapter 11, where the boy and the man with the unusually tall top hat finally make their way to the fabled ancient tree sages. Yes, these seers have summoned the pair deep into a mystic forest and through a strange mountain to heed what words they may pass to the boy from that way. It could mean all the difference between seeing home again and being stuck in Esgalda forever. The difference between life and death. Rain was coming down in great gray sheets of searing cold. The wind seemed to be plotting against the three slow-moving caravans, blowing the rain right into them with a biting gust. All three of the wagons had been tilted up on two wheels more than once by the tearing winds. The storm was determined to hinder their progress down the red brick road and into Cesar Forest, which rested at the foot of the Puktulu Mountains. The thunderstorm picked up. The carriages came, finally, to the green Cesar Forest. They could barely be made out ahead of them the trees whipping and tossing in the wind. Hard and raging they were, whipping wildly, they pressed against the three blue and silver carriages, but soon they slipped safely in between the trees. Wow, what a storm, Eisen said, looking out the back of the carriage he was in, which was passing into the forest. The boy could hear branches scraping and tearing at the top of the carriages. He saw leaves in the air behind them. They passed deeper and deeper into the wood. The trees were shielding the party from much of the storm, but Eisen could still feel whips of rain and wind sneaking in through the gaps in the forest. Mantic, who was in a different carriage, was watching the storm with great interest. He unknowingly held a very serious face that one may associate with annoyance or the eating of sour candy. He had held a hand out the side of the carriage he was in for most of the ride. His hand was spotted with red and pink welts, some of which were raised above the skin. Something about the storm bothered him deeply, but no particular reason came to mind. It was hard to really think about much when riding down a bumpy brick road in a carriage full of busty clerics. Mantic wished he was wounded and laughed to himself. Somebody doesn't want us here, he said out loud. The five girls sitting around him smiled but said nothing. Bump, jiggle, giggle, bump again. The carriage finally came to a stop. A great horn sounded from the front of the caravan, resonating deeply through the trees. The acolytes told their guests to exit. Each wagon emptied and the girls lined up in a rather straight and militant line in front of the blue and silver carriages in two rows of eight. Then the wind seemed to skip around them, and not so much as a single hair moved on any of them. Only the men blinked and moved about now. Eisen and Mannix stood loosely at the far end of the line near the third carriage. Both of them had their jaws hanging, each for a different reason. 
Hazen was amazed at the rigid discipline these girls appeared to have. Their militant stance, done without command, was so flawless and executed with grace that the boy wondered how that even happened. Mantic, however, was struck by the platoon of curves in a way that, well, he decided to keep to himself. One more mental picture for the photo album, that was certain. Both Eisen and Manic found their attention grabbed by a girl who suddenly stepped out, carrying a tall standard of blue and silver. The girl walked forward, the flag popping in the wind. Isaac can see the flag depicted a silver leaf with a blue fox silhouette laid over it. The girl walked about ten feet in front of the lined-up girls and spun about to face them all. After the standard bearer planted the flag into the ground, a short and wobbly figure, hooded in olive green, emerged from the same carriage the girl with the flag had. The hooded figure walked solemnly up to the standard bearer and called for Mandic and Eisen in a rather raspy voice. The bent figure removed his hood once the pair approached, revealing himself to be an aged red fox. He had held most of his red through the years, but time had splashed him here and there with patches of gray and white. Under great bushy eyebrows of pepper gray shone eyes with a silvery blue that seemed to match perfectly the standard that was whipping in the wind above their heads. The old fox smiled a yellow fang smile as Eisen and Mantic, who removed a top hat, finally walked near. Ah, now, this must be the young man I've heard so much about, the fox said, clasping the boy on the shoulder and messing his hair. Hello, sir, Eisen replied. Eisen, this is Headmaster Aldo Valdo. Headmaster Valdo, Eisen, Manic said, placing his top hat on his head as he introduced the pair in spectacular fashion. Oh, that's quite all right, Mantic. I need no introduction. The trees have introduced me well to the boy, it seems, and I am eager to see what comes from all of this. Eisen got his first good look at the place while Baldo and the summoned girl spoke in whispers. The trees here were huge, each one a towering mass of green and brown reaching for the heavens. Above them a great orange and green canopy of leaves, branches, and vines. Wild fruit and seeds of varying shapes and colors dangled from many branches either as a taunting, delicious-looking morsel or warnings to those below. A path could be seen trailing deeper into the woods. Small breaks in the canopy showed the Puktulu Mountains looming overhead. The mountains dwarfed even the tallest trees, its peak literally piercing the sky. Okay, are you ready, Eisen? Mantic's voice pulled the boy from fantastic views. I think so. Well, I hope so. What are Headmaster Valdo and the girls talking about? You, probably. Seems to be the topic of choice these days with just about anyone. I'd give anything to be in the car on the way home right now. In the what? Manic looked confused now. In the car. A car, you know, it's like one of these carriages, only without horses pulling it. Mantic looked very confused now. So, what do you pull it with? Goats? Dwarves? No, no, no. It, it pulls itself, really. There's like an engine that has tiny explosions in it. That, that makes it go. Tiny explosions? I don't think I'm explaining this very well. well. Well, tell me another time, boy. Here comes the fox. Headmaster Voldo approached Eisen, placing a twisted and knotted stick in the boy's hand. The stick felt warm to the touch, and Eisen could feel a light tingling sensation creeping up his arm. As he ran his fingers over the stick, he could feel etchings and perhaps a few runes. Eisen looked down at it more carefully, turning it over in his hand several times. 
Baldur smiled and watched the boy inspect every inch of it before speaking again. Hmm, he said, sizing his book back up. The old red fox turned to Manic and wished him luck before motioning to the militant girls to get back in the carriages. The girl with the banner unhooked a horse from the head carriage and tied it up to a nearby tree before climbing aboard the middle wagon. The remainder of the busty unit broke apart in great discipline, and with seconds each carriage was full of giggly, jiggly girls peeking out the windows. It was as if all the girls had been turned into a squad of schoolgirls suddenly. Baldo hugged Eisen before returning to the head carriage, saying in a harsh tongue to be careful. He spoke a poetic blessing as he left. Leaves crunched, branches scraped, and the caravan of silver and blue was gone from the woods. Eisen and Manic found themselves alone under an orange and green canopy of leaves, branches, and vines. Nice enough fellow. Hey, at least they left us a horse to get back, Manic said as the last carriage disappeared into the violent whirling storm outside. Quite though I'm not sure what we're to do. Oh, he told me everything, I think. Uh, Valdo said that normally this whole ordeal is done with the entire monastery at our side. It seems the Abandu trees requested that we come alone. Regardless, uh, that is the way ahead, so let us be on it. Then the wind stopped. As if shut down with a button, the fierce storm that had made the trip so difficult ceased completely. Eisen and Manit looked at each other and then up through the trees, trying to get a good read on the sky. From where they were, they could only see leaves and a few peaks of blue. The storm stopped altogether in the most unnatural way. They halfway tried to make jokes about the situation so as not to alarm one another. Perfect. Nothing I love like a good passive-aggressive storm, replied Eisen, wondering how a storm could just suddenly stop. He kept his eyes trained on Mantic's face, looking for any hint of an expression or hint to something more. I mean... It's like it just turned off. Maybe it just didn't like the Foxhole Monastery people and was waiting for them to leave. Maybe. After straightening his vest and black tuxedo jacket, Manic stepped over a few branches and made his way briskly over to the path Eisen had noticed earlier when the girls had first lined up. It was straight and much like a dagger had plunged deep into the heart of the woods. Eisen found himself following Mantic down this dagger of a path only looking back once to catch a final glimpse of the way back. For some weird reason, he wished he had breadcrumbs to drop. Several minutes of walking had passed when Manic stopped suddenly. Off to the left, he pointed out a large clearing several yards into the trees. In the clearing, they could see a massive, writhing pile of ants. There was hundreds of thousands of little black ants covering the area from one side of the clearing to the other. Nothing could be seen except a mailbox that was also covered in a sea of little ants. Eisen thought he could make out red and white stripes on the mailbox post, but couldn't really get a good look. Mantic said he smelled cookies before they mentioned they should probably get on down the path. As they walked by, they made out the structure of what may have been a house. Mantic was a few feet in front of the boy once they picked up the quest again, and Eisen decided he'd much rather walk alongside the man than behind him. The boy didn't know what he had heard in the woods around him, but if it was mean or loved the taste of boys from other worlds, then he wanted to be as close to Manic as possible. He called Manic's name a few times, but the man kept walking and was altogether unresponsive. Yes, perhaps the man was lost in deep thought, so he ran to catch up to the silent strider. Even at his side, Manic kept the exact same composure and said nothing. So... 
How far is it from here? The boy asked, though he didn't care so much to know the answer, as he did just to have some conversation. Manic remained silent but stopped and turned to the boy, showing a face of death and rot. Manic's eyes were nothing but hollow sockets, and much of the skin on his face was gone, save a few dangling strips. A black serpent was wound through Manic's eyes, his sockets empty except for the snake, nose, with the head of the bee staring menacing from Manic's open mouth. The serpent's head looked almost like a black and scaly tongue. Green liquid ran from Manic's mouth, blood from his eyes and nose. Eisen went to run, but the path had disappeared and he found himself surrounded by thick patches of brush and massive trees. They were all so close together that he couldn't make his way back or past them. It was like a giant wall of bark trapping him from getting away. He turned to face Manic, who was shuffling toward him. The snake had slithered a bit from his mouth and now its head danced in and out of Manic's face, flashes of anger from the slits of its eyes. Stay back, the boy said weakly. He put his back to one of the large trees, quickly scanning the area for any way to escape. Manic was but a few paces away, and Eisen was already imagining the icy feeling of the snake's poison that was sure to be traveling to his heart any minute now. He wanted to defend himself, but the area offered not so much as a fallen tree limb in which to do it. The black snake's hissing rang loudly in his mind, and everything began to slow down as fear started to grip him. He was sure the snake would do to him what it had done to Mantic. A traitor for a traitor, the snake hissed, closing in on the boy who had already fallen to his knees. Hey, you there! The voice rang out its familiarity from behind the snake-faced Manic. It was Manic, the one Eisen remembered. The boy shook his head at seeing two of them. The snake-faced one turned around. There stood the real Manic, tall and almost gleaming in his tux. Eisen had never been so happy to see him. Get your own personality, the real Manic said smoothly, reaching out and snatching up the snake behind the head. As soon as Manic pulled the snake, the fake Manic's body vanished, leaving nothing but a wiggling serpent in his hand. Damn Krell snakes, he said, snapping the black serpent's neck and tossing his body into some nearby foliage. Isaac was trying to catch his breath and slow his mind at the same time. Was all he could manage between frantic breaths. Calm down, son. It's all okay now. It was just a krell snake. I turned around after we saw the ants and you were gone. You were lucky you're so damn loud traipsing through the forest like that, he said as he put his arm around the boy and helped him to his feet. Krell snakes? Eisen finally said once he was sure his heart and lungs were not going to leap from his chest. In fact, his heart and lungs were quite happy with their cozy piece of real estate and had no desire to leave despite the stressful situation. You see, Manic began, Krell snakes feed on cabalus bird eggs. Eisen interrupted immediately with, What's a cabalus bird? Okay, boy, hold it. Okay, you see, it's a great teal-colored bird that lays eggs, and these eggs have amazing powers. The green cabalus egg allows one to fly around for a few days if you eat it. Then there's another one, the black cabalus egg, allows one to temporarily reanimate the dead. Wow. Uh, that's kind of amazing. Not really, kid. It's it's actually very dirty work. Have you ever done it, Mantic? Will you remember Bobby? Is that what you guys were doing to him? What do you mean? You saw us? Yeah, but what about the damn snake face zombie version of you that almost ate me? Oh, yeah, right. Okay. 
See the see the snakes eat the Cabalus bird eggs, and it gives them odd powers. Krell snakes who eat a black Cabalus egg can create fearsome and usually death-oriented illusions to help them hunt their prey. Why am I always the prey? Manic laughed. A little more talk on Cabalus eggs, and the two found themselves back on the path towards the Atbandu trees. Isaac made sure not to let Manic from his sight, and walked as close to him as he comfortably could. There were dangers in these woods that Eisen wished not to encounter, and if that meant walking side by side and shoulder to shoulder, then so be it. Manic was right, and all th not all things out here were wise and good. Some things were just downright deadly. The loot player stopped walking. There it is, boy. Isn't it gorgeous? Manic removed his top hat and ran the brim over a few times in his hand. The boy thought Manic was acting much like he was meeting a beautiful lady for the first time. However, once he looked over to the great door, he understood why. There, carved in the base of the mountains, was a great sprawling door that rose several feet above their heads. The door was entwined with thick, rust-colored vines that stretched across it in intricate and deliberate circular patterns. The edges of the door were ripe, and star-shaped fruits jingled like bells in the soft, pressing breeze. The door itself had several great looping runes carved into its face, each one a different shade of green. To the left of the door stood a small pine tree, as green as the richest emeralds. The view captured Eisen and Manic for many minutes. This place was truly beautiful, something Eisen had not yet seen in his Galda. They decided to absorb it and take it in. It felt warm and safe here. They finally looked at one another, feeling the comforts like home. The world finally felt like it was beginning to slow down and kind of take a normal pace. A few red leaves fell in front of them. Though neither of them knew it, both of them held the same genuine smile of comfort and peace as they watched. Well, you two just going to stand there like love-struck schoolgirls, or are you going to go on inside? The voice seemed to come from behind the little pine tree. Who's there, Manic said, placing a hand quickly on his dagger hilt. Eisen thought of more crawl snakes. Who's always behind here, you dolt? Me. That's who. Eisen looked hard and leaned in towards Manic and said, I think that little pine tree might be talking. Oh, it's good to see you. You brought an art scholar mage with you. A true genius, the pine tree mocked. Manic stepped forward with a smile on his face. Eisen didn't move, but watched intently for snakes. You must be Dollar the Tree Guard. Headmaster Valdo sent us to speak of the Atbandu trees, who should be expecting us. My name's Manic, and this would, yes, be our genius art scholar mage, Associate Eisen. Hello, Dollar Island. I'm so confused. The boy said this from behind Manic as he slowly approached. You have the key, then? Dollar replied, holding out a knotted and broken branch. Right to business with you, hey old bark man. Takes a lot of work to stay green all year round, you know, Dollar replied. That's true. Don't see too many trees doing that. So the key then? Right, right, right. Eisen, give him, give him the key. Eisen approached Dollar slowly, for he felt like any minute this was all going to turn out to be some elaborate curl snake illusion. The boy reached up and placed one end of the warm stick key Aldo had given him to Dollar's broken, protruding branch hand. 
A flash of light and the branch was whole again, firmly back in its rightful place. Isaac could see that the runes that were etched into the wand were now gone. So was the tingling that had crept up in his arm earlier. Enter, Dollar said in his official voice. Isaac left at the pompous little tree. With great speed, the vines on the doors curled like the legs of a dying spider. The tall stone architecture gave way, showing a torch-lit corridor winding deeper into the mountain. Eisen waited for Mantic to move, then followed him over the threshold and into the stone hallway. In a great push of dust and wind, the door slammed hard behind them. First time? Eisen asked Mantic. Yeah, you? Mantic replied, looking more for a smile and a laugh than an actual answer. He got both. The corridor was cold and quiet, and both their boots sounded like echoing heartbeats as they walked rhythmically deeper and deeper and further. The walls and floor were bricked with the same red Eisen had seen nearly everywhere else. He wondered if they made any other color bricks in Asgolda other than red. Eisen walked on, remembering how his footsteps fell with great sound when he'd walked down the first corridor with the cat guard and the white door at the end. The beginning of all this mess. Turning a corner, the two found themselves at the bank of a massive underground lake. The dark water stretched out and off in all directions, as far as the eye could see, save the way they came, of course. Far off on an island, a great circle of trees sat under a hole in the top of the cave where a wide beam of white sunlight shone down into the watery cavern below. Down here, the sunlight seemed twice as sparkling and radiant as it normally did on the surface. Is that them? Eisen said, pointing out to the island dotted with trees. Yes, those are the legendary Abandu trees. Are you ready, boy? Manic dusted him off and straightened his hair. As I'll ever be. Question, though, how do we get out to them? Eisen had noticed that there was no boat or walkway leading out to the trees. There was no visible way to get to the little island that sat under the sunlight. He looked out into the darkness and could see no way. He peered down into the dark water and knew one thing was for sure. He was not getting in there. We walk, Mantic said, stepping out on the water surface. To the boy's surprise, Mantic did not sink, and only the tops of his boots even got wet. How are you doing that? I'm not doing it. The trees are. They make paths for those they wish to speak to. And I mean that in more ways than one. Mantic motioned for the boy to follow. Eisen stepped out onto the dark surface and found that he also could walk atop the water. A few minutes' time found he and Manic many yards from the bank and well on their way to the Abandu trees. Occasionally they could see large and dark creatures swim beneath their feet. Here and there the water would churn or the surface would break. One creature in particular had a massive yellow eye, as big as the carriage that brought them, and a purple body that was so long it took two or three minutes for it to swim by. Eisen felt much relief when he finally set foot on the little island. The dot of land on the great underland great low is fairly small and simple. It was basically circular and held only the Atbandu trees, which were also in a circle. One of the trees was vacant from the circle, but a dark and rotted stump still stood where it should be. The trees themselves were 10 to 12 feet tall. Blue and silver leaves adorned them. Each had rich, leather-colored bark. It looked like a book. It wrapped them from root to tree. Limb. The soil was rich here, and Eisen could smell a pleasant combination of sweet fruits and lively greens. A few of the trees had golden sap coming from them in random locations. 
Mantic was the first to step into the circle of trees and speak, removing his top hat as he did. We are here to seek your knowledge on things that are sure to shape the ages. The tallest of the trees spoke, its silver and blue leaves shaking as it did. The scene looked very much how a tree waves in the wind, though the underground cave offered none itself. The tree's voice sounded like it had been carried on a gust of that same wind, thousands and thousands of miles away. Man shapes all coming ages, tallest tree said. We've come because a boy is lost in ways that cannot be accounted for. We've come because a boy who has come from that way wishes to return to it. We have come because many feel a great change will come to all of his gall through this boy and his quest home, for he seeks the white door. When Manic finished saying this, Eisen stepped forward to present himself. He wasn't sure to which tree to face or if he should bow, so he did so to all nine of them. What is your name, boy? the tallest tree asked. I am Eisen, Eisen Agro of Valius Arcta. If you wish to return home, a great change must come to pass. You seek to go through the white door to return to your home? Well, I'm sure by now you have learned that this white door lies in the hands of King Rayekmar at the citadel of Tolkarel. It is the only door of its kind in all the land and is the only way in which you will ever see Valia's Arcta again. You must find a key and also one who can wield the world in his hands. Only then will you see your world again. Eisen didn't understand much of the tree it said, but stayed silent. Mantic looked to the boy, a bit of confusion painted on his face. After a quick discussion, it seemed that Mantic could not hear what the Atbandu trees were saying, and only heard the rustling of leaves. The boy relayed what the trees had said. Where might we find this key to the white door? Is there anything? Mantic turned his eyes to Eisen and then to the rustling leaves. They filled his ears. The key is a wand of blue held once by a member of the outer guard, the tallest tree replied. Eisen gasped, and Manic turned to see the boy's face in an almost painful look. An inquiry into this by Manic revealed that Eisen had had the blue wand in his possession at one time. He said he had traded the blue wand to Taylor the Tailor in exchange for a ride to Dristal. Eisen looked as if he were on the verge of tears. A gloom hung low over the two, like a great morning fog over the glass lakes. Now, the tall street finally continued, the white doors have a central hub where they all lead to. That place is your homeworld of Alias Arcta. There are five white doors there, each leading to a distinct and different place, a different time, a different world. However, each of these worlds only has a single white door, which will lead anyone who passes through randomly to any location in any of the worlds. These worlds are called Galtros, Isgalda, Rastbezu, Velius Arcta, Belfurion, and Minicius. Each of which, again, has only a single white door, except the hub world Velius Arcta where Aizen is from. So you see, Aizen, even if you manage to get around King Archibald and open the white door, it may or may not return you home. This is where the blue wand, also known as the strand key, comes into play. You see, strand keys are not permitted to pass through a white door as they are used to open and close them. Normally, those who try die a horrid and twisted death. 
never to pop up in any world and be lost in the dark waves between them. However, it would seem that those who come from that way, from Valius Arctar, are unaffected by these rules and therefore can wield the power to open the white door, any white door. It is uncertain to us what would happen if you were to open the white door of the Strand Key and try to return home. No one has ever gone through a white door more than once. As the tree went silent, Aizen's mind began to race with confusion, questions, and most notably, anger. He couldn't believe that he had the strand key with him from the beginning of this whole thing. What tore him worse was that he gave it away so casually, as if it were nothing more than a child's toy. Honesty be revealed, that's pretty much how he'd felt with the blue wand up until now. Who knew where the tidal wave had taken the tailor and his purple-covered wagon? They could just as easily have been washed ashore somewhere as be at the bottom of the ocean. Blood clam food. Eisen made mention to the Atbandu trees about Taylor and this tidal wave. He still lives and walks, the trees replied. A second tree added, Start your search by traveling towards a town called Edok Iri, east of this forest, on the southern end of the Ghost Guys Plains. It is a sad and gray place, dotted with the living, the dead, and those who cannot decide which one they are. Somewhere on the journey there, you will find the trail. A great line will cross your path. Follow this great line north. It will lead you to both a strand key and your world lifter. Something stuck in Isaac's mind about this whole world lifting thing that the tree had just referred to. He couldn't put a finger on it, and the trees picked back up with conversation before he could sift through his memories. Trust in this man, Eisen. Mantic has shown himself to be the guide that we foresaw. Tell him nothing of the white doors and how they work. That is for your ears only, and we expect you to hold on to such things. A great collision of a hundred years or more of right and wrong are set to shake his Galda to its very core. Find yourself good ground under your feet and in your heart to stand on. Those who fall will not get back up again. That is all. The trees went silent, and their silver and blue leaves moved no more. Eisen and Mannix spoke briefly about Taylor and Edoch Erie, but Eisen made sure not to mention the inner workings of the White Doors. The boy didn't understand why he couldn't tell Mannix about it, though, as the Abandu had told him Mannix was to be trusted. Either way, they soon were walking on the dark water surface back towards the lake bank, a large bulbous creature with many mouths surfaced near them, hastening their pace to get back to dry land, to safety, or they hoped. Once there, Eisen sat down to catch his breath and asked Mannix what was their next move. Well, Edoch Erie is a few days' travel. It's in the Ghost Guys Plains where the living and the dead and everything in between sort of live together. It's like an odd society. They had a war between a great paladin named Warnick Shabler and a devious necromancer. I can't remember his name. Something, Valcorvin, Corin. It was fancy. You know how wizards are, especially those dark magic ones. It was a long time ago, centuries ago. Well, legend says that these two leaders clashed on the battlefield and their powers overwhelmed each other. Um, as they both lay dying, they each prayed and whispered to their respective dark gods and light deities. And a mixture of this magic and power from them twisted it into this strange reflection of both. Ghosts and men living together in relative peace, zombies and skeletons in school with boys and girls. The whole place is upside down if you ask me. They say Warrenick and Valcorvin still live. One travels the world as a ghost, and the other became a 
petty and powerless grave robber. Well, that sounds like my kind of luck. Of course that's where they would send me, the boy said. We should keep a low profile, though, boy. I feel the hunt for you will only intensify from here on out. He had a guilty look on his face. What's wrong? What is it? The boy asked, trying to read him. Manic said nothing, but motioned for Eisen to follow him back around the corner and down the red corridor towards the door. Eisen knew something was wrong. He could feel it in the air. It was heavy, but he decided not to press the issue. It wasn't long before they could make out the great stone door at the end of the dimly lit corridor. Just before Manic pushed the doors open, he stopped and turned to the boy. He's alive still. Slendari, Manic admitted. Eisen's head shot up at the sound of the devilish elf's name. I know because I can feel him cursing my name. A bond of music, magic, and murder is harder broken than made. I didn't want to worry you, kid, but you'll need to be on your utmost guard now that we will be leaving the safety of Foxhole and Cesar Forest. It's just going to be us now, lad. Anna looked as serious as he ever had. Eisen knew this was bigger than him. This was bigger than Manic. The Geldurst. The White Doors. Ray Ekmar. This was larger than anything he could have imagined. And the roots of it went back deep into the pages of this world's history. Further than he could read. The more he seemed to learn, the more the boy felt like his visit to his Golda was purposeful and meant to be. For the first time, Eisen felt true purpose and maybe some power. And that his passage beyond the White Door wasn't just a mistake. He thought of the cat guard and how the white door had been left ajar as it beckoning him to walk through, calling him. Eisen felt it in his heart that he was supposed to come here, and a great feeling of purpose bolstered his spirit as he and Manic began their walk back to the entrance of the Cesar Forest. Join us next week for Chapter 12, A Little Rough Around the Edges. Journey back to Iskorda, where Aizen and Manthic have returned from meeting the Sage Trees to a realm of horror. While off in the magic woods, the wicked Slim Dari has turned the once peaceful and quiet Foxhole Monastery into a raging inferno of cryptic death and messages. While thankful the elf did not catch them, the pair must now deal with the ruins and strike out as fast as they can if they hope to remain one step ahead of Slim Dari. Stay tuned next week for an all-new chapter of The White Door.